jump right in with lesson seven, and what we've always been talking about is uh, just to kind of make sure we're all trekking, is that we took the scripture out of Matthew 25, that the kingdom has been prepared, and then in the blue, the angels, the nations, and the people, and then of course our scripture, I do it every week, Job 38, 33, God asked the question, do you know the laws of the universe, and can you use those to regulate the earth, and so I put this together, that would, I'll show it every week, that will just kind of give you an understanding of what's going on in the kingdom, that the kingdom is how God governs angels, peoples, and nations. So if you ever just want to simplify it to the best, this would be my simplicity, is that the kingdom is the government of God as it relates to angels, that's the spirit world, how it relates to people individually, and then how it relates to nations, what God is doing in the world in general. Here's what we've discussed so far. We've come that God is most high, his word is authority, his wisdom is life. And then we learn that the kingdom is always moving us toward righteous fellowship. So when we talk about the kingdom, and now we just kind of overview kingdom as government, what we're doing is running through, well, let's define what would be part of his government. And what we're going to talk about tonight is what we can learn from human life. By human life, I mean we find ourselves in Genesis 11 on the plains uh, in Babel. And it is, to me, this is just my thinking on it, it is one of the most intriguing stories of the Bible. I think almost even further so than Noah and all the other stories I love. It intrigues me because in the book of Genesis, when we did our study, I, I did my best to deep dive. And then when I taught on the Holy Spirit, I picked this story. Well, this story has an affinity to a lot of my messages because it's so foundational to how God works with people, what God is trying to do and what God is attempting to do. So I'm going to leave the Genesis class alone and not teach that again. And I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit class alone where we talked about languages and God being a God of language. And I want to pick up, what can we learn about God's government? What is God teaching us? Again, I don't believe any story in the Bible is there by mistake. It's there to teach us. It's there to show us not just ourselves. We have to get out that the story we read in the Bible are for us about ourselves. The stories we read are to reveal God and why humans need God. And what God is trying to do. So let's read it. Very familiar. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. And as the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and they settled there. And they began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. And in this region, bricks were used instead of stones and tar was used for mortar. And then they said, come. Let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower and the people that they were building. He said, look, the people are united. They all speak the same language. And after this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Verse 7. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. That's an interesting thought. I, I don't want to teach it, but I think if you, if you would love to study the Bible, this, this common thinking that all confusion is of the devil, 
Sometimes confusion is you're outside of the will of God and it has nothing to do with the devil. So we can't just blame everything going bad on the devil. Sometimes things go bad because we humans think we can do it without God. And so we, we have to leave this mentality that good things are God, bad things are the devil. Sometimes bad things are happening because we pulled ourselves out from alignment with God. And when I pull myself out from alignment with God, confusion sets in. And even, it even says God came down to confuse them because you're outside of his will. And so he confuses the people and they won't, he says, this is God's comment, verse 7, they won't be able to understand each other. And in that way, and this is my teaching tonight. I tried, I, I told somebody, uh, was, was talking a minute ago to Jay, and I said, yeah, pray for me. He was talking about football, and I was talking about tonight. He said, are you nervous? And I'm like, yes. And he was like, no, I'm talking about football. And I was like, oh, good. I was talking about tonight's message. Oh, Lord, I am nervous about teaching this tonight. Um, I try to teach things that are meaningful, but I have tried to be thoughtful. What, and here's what I was thinking all week. And I think I even called my mother early last week and said, I'm teaching on this next week. I need your brain on it. And, and I landed on the pink words, scattered them all. And that just bothered me like, okay, what's God doing that he's so intrigued that his job is to confuse these people from a great work? They're successful. I'll go back to scripture. They're successful. They're building a city. They're famous. They're doing great things. God himself will say in the next verse, they're so incredibly smart, nothing could stop them. Now, if I just told you that there was a person in this room that was a great businessman or woman, plenty of money, built a great family, had a great business, multimillionaire, very famous, everybody loves them, Matter of fact, they're smart. Think Elon Musk. I mean, just going to Mars, going to the moon, all the stuff. We made, you know, made Tesla, all the things. And we just go, gosh, he's worth $300 billion. We look at that and go, that's just wildly successful. We, we, we like it. it. It impresses us. But God comes down and he says, yeah, yeah, it's not, not really impressed. That's not what I'm going for. And when God steps in and says, that's not what I'm going for, because I'm reading things like unity. You don't like unity? Because unity to me would be a Christian word. They're all unified. They're not arguing. That would have to be God. So there's a lot in this that we, we pull biblical terms out and, and teach that when we really deep dive down the well, nothing is impossible. And then we even teach that. With God, all things are possible. And I'm like, yeah, you might be quoting that and be totally out of the will of God. Just because you're successful, just because things are going well, doesn't mean God is necessarily in the business of this thing. And so, hence the story, verse 8, God scatters them. I wrote this down. God's government, and this is my thinking for the whole night, so we're going to build off of this principle. God's government, a.k.a. the kingdom, has always been about multiplication to fill the earth. This is not a new thing with God. It has been since the beginning of time. God is desiring human beings to multiply. He doesn't do it for you. He requires you to do it. He requires the man and the woman to go into the tent and birth a child. 
And then out of that, we multiply and we go. And what God will tell Adam is, here's the scripture he tells Adam. And God blessed him and said, look at how he defines fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is not that necessarily your business has good money. Fruitfulness is not necessarily that you have a great marriage. Because I could say to anybody that has a great marriage, but that doesn't mean that they're living for God. There's plenty of successful people with a lot of money that don't even love God or or wouldn't. or They're atheists. Fruitfulness, first defined by God, is humans have to multiply so they can take over planet Earth. And you really ask yourself, well, why would they want to fill the earth and govern it? Like there's this weird expectation on people from the very beginning. And the expectation, here's what's strange, I know 2022 it doesn't preach well. But the expectation was not God wanting to fill your life with stuff. The expectation is your stuff would fill his earth. You would fill his earth. We teach that the gospel now is God wants to fill you up. He wants to bless you, give you homes, give you cars, your marriage. And that is, in a sense, true. But if I'm not careful, I will become very introverted in that God exists to fill my life up and meet all my needs and not understand that from the beginning of time, fruitfulness wasn't having my needs met Fruitfulness is that I was multiplying and my children were filling up the earth. All right, so if we just take that base thought in the blue, multiply and fill the earth, well, we're, we're uh, in my thinking, we're way behind the eight ball here. We're losing our families. We, what if we've aborted 68 million children since abortion went into effect? What is that? Okay, what, what's the big deal with abortion? Okay, women's health care or not, the bottom line with abortion is if children aren't being born, we're not doing the necessary thing to fill the earth. And the weird thing going on now, let me show you how demonic it is. The earth is too full. Oh my God, there's too many people. We can't sustain it all. We're going to run out of food. We can't do it. Carbon monoxide or dioxide poison is going to kill the earth. The ozone layer is going to blow up. We've got to depopulate. We've got even Elon Musk. I was listening to a speech he made the other day. And he said, he said, within the next few thousand years, we won't exist as a, as a planet anymore. Here's why. More people are dying than are being born. So we're in a non-replacement life. So if we continue the, the system forward... It may not matter to you because you're here now, but thousands of years later, should God not come, there won't be humans because people will die more than are born. That doesn't really affect us now because we look around, there's babies all in this church. But the prevailing thought of the planet is there's too many of you humans here. Y'all make a mess. Stop having so many kids. It's a problem. Parents have children, but they don't fill the earth. They fill their bellies. They fill their hands with phones. They fill their minds with movies and don't understand what we're doing. That was rambling. I don't want to ramble, but it was a good ramble. (laughs) Genesis 9, the same thing, just in case you thought God would forget. Then God, in Genesis 9, 1 and 2, blessed Noah and his sons and told them. Now it's not just to Adam and Eve now. It's to a whole family, all eight of them. Nobody gets off scot-free. 
This is starting the planet all over. So God, when he has a chance to start all over, he goes right back to the same expectation. Fellas, ladies, I need you to multiply, and he uses the word fruitful again, and I need you to fill the earth. Like God has not changed his mind. I mean, it went bad, and you would think if it went that bad, God would go, may not want to do the whole fill the earth thing. Because those people got really weird on me. And oh, they multiplied and were terrible so much I had to kill them all. So he starts with eight, but going from I don't know how many millions could have lived. I've studied it before of how many humans could have possibly been on the planet by the time Noah's ark hit. I forget the number, so I won't go there. But whatever happened, God was not too concerned that to go back to eight and start over was really an issue. Because he's going to go back to the same thing. Look, just multiply. You should like that, Noah and your sons. That means marry, have children. Then take those children and fill the earth. Simple. Now when we go to this, to understand the Tower of Babel, we have to go back to the day they came off the ark to understand it. Because the Tower of Babel is not God just being mad and ticked off. It's that before there was a Tower of Babel, if you go ahead and read the rest of Genesis 9, Genesis 9 becomes the, um, the family tree of all humanity. So when Noah's three boys, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, came off the boat, God said, look, fellas, you boys go multiply, take the earth over repopulate the earth, fill it with my covenant, my covenant land, take over. You guys rule and reign over everything. Noah's kids, according to theology and history, Noah's kids obviously thought, yeah, peace out. We thank you for that, but we're not going to scatter. And what we have is, because they didn't scatter, we have now, they showed up on a land where all the world is in one location. So the moment we read Genesis 11, all the people of the world were together. They all migrated together. They hung out together. They settled together. They're all there. And God shows up and probably is thinking, what in the Sam Hill? I don't know if you use that word, but it's a good word from the South. What is the Sam Hill is going on with you people? I told you all to scatter and you've come together to build a city and a name, you think you're successful, you think you're all that, you're using my wisdom to do your own thing, all of you are wrong. Hey, welcome to not being able to stand each other, scat. And in one snap of a finger, and they all just start going off to other parts of the world. Now, when that happens, I'm not going here, but it's a thought for you. A major problem exists now. Because in that moment, when all humans, and God says of those humans, that nothing they do will be impossible. What God is saying is that all the humans from Noah's ark that had populated the earth out of Noah's three boys, those humans who were the righteousness of, God, of Noah's children are all gathered together and God said these kids gather together there's nothing they couldn't accomplish with their wisdom 
but I don't really care because that's not what I ask you boys to do. And so I'm going to scatter you all and break your languages off. Now, here's what happened. The moment God, and I'm, this is they're going to be a part two next week, so this will be a paste, and then we'll dig it out next week. The moment they scattered, and it reads weird. It just says, and the Lord scattered them. I don't know if God picked a couple of thousand up and moved them to the other side of the earth and went, there you go, and translated them. It doesn't tell us. It just says, and the Lord scattered them. I don't know if God went, and they just all went flying off in another way. I don't know if he put it in their heart and somebody said, I hate living in the east. Let's go west. Yeah, good idea, honey. And they all went. I don't know. But whatever God did, it's this, scattered them where? All over the world. And it seems like failure. They stopped building the city. I present to you that most Christians today are more concerned with building something than they are scattering to the world to tell the gospel to people. We're indebted to that building. We're indebted to the something. I'm going to teach it to you tonight, but ponder this as we go there. Everybody's speaking the same language. I'm going to pick on Carmelo. Carmelo grew up in a family where his father did construction work, and Carmelo, every time there's an electrical problem, I'm like, Carmelo, I don't want to die. I need you to come over and help me. And Carmelo will come over to my house and rewire lights for me, and I clap, and I'm thankful for Carmelo. He's my electrician fellow. I'm desperate. I'll call Carmelo. If my car breaks down, I call David Stone. David, my car's broken. And David Stone will tell me whether to go get ripped off or whether I could fix it myself. So I have in my, in my 50 feet, now this may sound very rude to you, but I'm smart enough in my 50 feet, I have crisis friends that can do the things I cannot do. And I'm like, man, I got them a phone call away. If my sump pump goes out, I know who I'm calling. The sump pump friend will come get that sump pump. I know if I need a painter who to call. I know if I need an electrician who to call. I know if I'm stuck. Now, that's how it works today. But here, everybody communicated together. So let's go there. The electricians are doing their thing to build the city. The plumbers are doing their thing. All the people, uh, the carpenters are carpentrying, the bricklayers are bricklaying, and then all of a sudden, and suddenly, nobody can communicate, and God shoes them away. So, I get shooed away with my group of people talking southern Georgia, and we all go over here, and I go, hey man, what's going on? He goes, nothing. I say, uh, you know how to do electrical? No. That's Carmelo. Where'd he go? Dude, I don't know. Anybody here know how to do electrical? Nobody. Anybody do plumbing? Because what I think happened here is God took his wisdom and dispersed it into small groups of people and sent them to the corners of the world and people took bits of his wisdom to the corners of the world. And in my belief, they had to start all over because suddenly I don't know how to lay bricks. I don't know how to do electrical. I don't know how to do this stuff because all those friends went that way. And all humanity was forced to start over in tribal groups. I'll teach you that next week why God did this. Just for example, for my Holy Spirit class, what did God do on the day of Pentecost? He brought all the tribal languages back together. 
gave them a common language of the Holy Spirit and sent them back out so that now we're empowered again. So that's what we'll talk about later. Let's jump into it. I don't want to belabor the point. God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful. He said to Noah, be fruitful. Here was my question. Why is multiplication to fill the earth such a mandate in God's kingdom? Why does God care? Why can't God just populate it himself? Why couldn't God just sneeze and create millions of humans? Why make two and then leave it to them to make everybody else? Why put the pressure on us? If you want the world populated, why don't you just put Adam and Eve over there and put a few Adam and Eves over there? Why don't you put a few Adam and Eves over there? And if you want the whole earth, why don't you just make a bunch of Adam and Eves and tell them all go get busy? Why start with two and then put the pressure on us? Why is this a mandate? Why doesn't he let it go? When Adam blows it, why does he make Noah pony up to it? When Noah doesn't pony up to it, why does he go to Babel and scatter them? Why is this so important? I'll try to teach you why. The mandate, I should say to multiply, I'm sorry. The mandate to multiply and fill the earth is for the intent and purpose of God's government. Here's what he wants. His government to be experienced throughout every nook and cranny of creation. There's not one place on planet earth right now God is not wanting his government to be known. It's what we call in America missions. I'm going to give $20 to missions. To go reach the Indian in the jungle that's never heard. This is nothing new. God's intent the whole time was that humans would know him because his people would go to the entire planet and go, hey, we want to tell you a story. What's the story? We want to tell you about a God that made our ancestors, and our ancestors blew it, and that God kicked them out, and, and then a flood came, but that God that flooded the world, and everybody's like, I've heard that story. I've heard the story about the world flooding, and well, like, yeah, I've come to tell you that that story of the world flooding, that God made a covenant with us and said he would never do it again. Like, that's what they were supposed to do. But you know as well as I do, if we study the scripture of Noah, as soon as Noah's kids came on, the evil intents of their heart were still there. And I want to teach you that tonight of why it's so important. And God told Noah and his sons, I want to confirm my covenant for your descendants. Now we know it's not just about a bunch of people. It's that God wants his covenant known to the whole earth. Verse 11 of Genesis 9. I am confirming my covenant with you. So there's this thought that in the kingdom government of God, God is trying to get his covenant to the entire world so that all of humans can know God's covenant to humanity. Now here's the issue with that. I don't get it. I wish I could. I don't. I try to understand it. Why, If God is so antsy for everybody to know, why doesn't he tell them? Why is he relying on me and you? That seems stupid. We're busy. We're distracted. We have walls up. We're religious. We're hypocritical. We're scared. We don't say anything. And... If God wanted your little buddy next to you that works with you saved, he could give them a dream. He could show up on their computer screen and go, boo, it's me, God, serve me. I mean, he is God, right? He, According to what we teach, he can do anything. 
But yet the one thing I know God's not really doing is God's not doing that. But I often wonder if God's not up there going, today's the day. I'm sitting in Mark to the gym. Mark's going to talk about that same God at the front of the gym. Oh, this is my day to let that God know that I'm for him. I have a covenant for his life. Oh, I can change his marriage. I can change. Oh, he's just. All right, there goes Mark. He's out of his truck. Mark's getting his app out. Oh, here he comes. He's going to. There goes Mark. He's going to. Oh, I got the guy coming to you, Mark. Do it, Mark. Just tell him I love him, Mark. Go for it. And then Mark goes, hey, dude, I need a towel. <laughs> Good to see you again, Mark. Glad you're here, dude. Thank you so much for my towel. And God's like, oh, another chance. Because my thinking is if, you're, if you want him saved so badly, then why don't you do something? And God's like, oh, I did. I put the responsibility on you. And I'm like, but I don't like that. And he says, well, I didn't ask you. I, I told my first kids, Adam and Eve, to do this. I told Noah to do this. I told their children to do this. And I'm telling you because I'm not going to do it with you sitting in a prayer closet asking me to do it for you. Get out of your prayer closet and go do it for me. Now this, though it can sting a mite, is why God is so passionately pushing us outside the walls of the church. We call it here our 50 feet. Like this is not ministry. This is just where we sharpen iron and grow and get a little sharper. You hit those doors, you're in ministry. And you're there. You're there to populate and fill the earth. You have children so you can teach them the ways of God so the children can multiply and teach the ways of God. I love what my mother said. I talk to her every day. and She said, it's just such a blessing at this age to see my children and my grandchildren serving God. And I was like, oh gosh, that is so true. Just how fruitful that your children serve God. Like I don't even care about me, my children serving God. I want to live in such a way that I make my children jealous to serve God. I want to love God so much that my children think, I want what daddy has. And then I want my granddaughter, Johnny Love, to see her worshiping because she sees her mother worshiping. She sees her granddaddy worshiping. She sees her great-grandparents worshiping. And all of a sudden, the way we live and serve God makes the next generation, it makes our descendants jealous. So I would ask all of us in the room as I ask myself, do you live in such a way that your descendants are jealous to know God? Not jealous to get your inheritance, not jealous to go to dinner with you, jealous to spend a little time with you, that's normal, but jealous in the sense that they want to know the God that you know. I love what my niece says to my mother. I hope I get it right. But my niece said to, to my mother how much she looked up to her because as, as she watched their lives, she said, you're one of the few that I see how to live God and you show us how to do it. And so guess what? When my niece is in trouble, who does she call? Grandmama. And you better know you want somebody to get you out of a hole. Grandmama. Right? Because our descendants... Well, what a sad state our country's in when today we're coming to church and our kids can't even stand church. They're mad. They're upset. They don't want to go. It's boring. They look at you and think, well, there's not much in you, Dad, that really impresses me because you don't seem that impressed by God. And this has been the mandate all along. And I want to teach you tonight somewhere I think we've got off base. 
Here's a thought. Multiplication and filling the earth was to spread the covenant news of God's kingdom to every descendant of every human. That was from day one with Adam and Eve. It was Noah. It was, um, it was Tower of Babel. I'm going to teach you next week as we do part two that it was a tribal group called Abraham and the Israelites. And then I'm going to teach you that it never changed. We'll end with that, what's happening now. Here's Genesis 11. They said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves, a tower that reaches to the sky. This will make us famous. And it will, here's the phrase that I highlighted in pink, it will keep us from being scattered. There's just something weird about humans. Is that you can know what to do and still find excuses not to do it. Come on, let's just be honest. That's all of us. You know what to do. But you just find excuses not to do it. Well, I know I need to be reading my Bible. Well, well, I'm just busy. I know I should go to church. Yeah, but I, I just I don't know if I can do those preachers again. Like that's humanity. It's not just you and me. That's all of us. All of us, typically, if we're Christians, know what God would want, and we still just don't do it. And if you want to know how weird it is, I can show you almost 99% of all marriage trouble. Sit you in a room and go, here's man, here's woman, they're in the room, there they are, boom. Guarantee you he knows what she's irritated at, he knows what. And even though they know what's irritated, it's like, so are you doing anything about it? Well, now she, well, now he. Because it's just built into us to know what to do. And now here's the New Testament scripture. To know what to do and not do it is what? It's sin. So here's what we can say about the Tower of Babel. It was a perfect example of what true sin is. Now, true sin in our thinking is, oh, God, we're so oh, dirty and vile and evil and murders and racism and hatred and perversion. Okay, give it to you. It's true. But here, sin is you're successful. You're building a great city. You're famous. Nothing you set your hand to is failing. And that's sin to me. What? How could this be? Because they said we're not going to do what God wants. Many Christians, often I said this, but it's in a thought to write down, equate their success with God's approval. A successful life doesn't mean that God approves of you. And I'll say this too, God loving you doesn't mean he approves of you. There's a lot of children that we love, our, we love our kids, but just because I love them doesn't mean I approve of their behavior. And we need to be careful as Christians that we don't equate a good day and a successful life and a successful business and money and all of that with God must be happy with me. Because you may be totally out of his will and still be successful, which is weird, but it is possible. Genesis 11. So God took one look. And I wrote it again. One people, one language. Why, this is only the first step. No telling what they'll come up with next. They'll stop at nothing. Come, we'll go down and garble their speech so they won't understand each other. And I put it in the red this time. God scattered them. He was serious. He left it not up to me and you to figure it out. He didn't ask for our opinion. He was so intent on it that I don't know how. I wish I knew how he did it, but... 
however it happened, it was God that pushed them into where he wanted them to be. And the Tower of Babel teaches us that God's kingdom government is to fill the earth. The Tower of Babel teaches me that his kingdom government, his righteous fellowship, his, he's most high, all of the things he's done, his job is not to sit around and build buildings. His job is to fill the earth. I would get you to ponder this question. This is a good thought, and then I'm going to give you a question. Here's a thought. If we were doing what we were asked to do, do you think any city in Douglasville, any human in Douglasville, would not be saved by now? There's a church on every corner. There's two churches in it within a half a mile. All of Brookmont should know God because of us and them. Like all of them should. And, and then if you just go a block that way, another church. And then about ten churches on Chapel Hill. And open the, there's nine new churches starting every week. And I'm thinking, my Lord, if we're all starting and they're on every corner, the whole world should be, being, or Douglasville should be filled with a knowledge of the glory of God. And we're getting worse. Humanity's getting worse. And I'm like, what, do we need another church? Let's start, and that's what we need, another church that sings hip music with hip pastors. And Really? We need to get back to the old hymns. Really? We had that? That didn't work. We need music and smoke machines. That ain't working. We need hip pastors in skinny jeans and with tattoos. That ain't working either. So what do we do? We go back and ask the hard questions. Why aren't we going to the streets to win lost people? Why do we just think God's going to flood them in? Anybody ever notice that sinners aren't dying to get in? No, nobody's sitting there smoking weed. Well, maybe a couple times, but not often. Sitting there smoking, I just, you know what I want. I just want to go to church and get closer to God. Let's find a church. Now, that can happen. It's weird when it does, and we're all like, wow. Woo, isn't God good? God got him up out of bed on his own and brought him to church on his own. Thank you, Lord. And God's like, yeah, because his grandmama's been praying and none of you would do it. So I did it because I wanted to honor his grandmother because you were too lazy to go get him. So don't praise me for something you wouldn't do. I did it because I'm honoring the prayers of a grandmother that wanted him to be saved. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm kind of like, and I am. I think I'm doing to myself too. Like, like let's just get this on. So what hinders us? This was my question. What hinders God's people from achieving this kingdom agenda of filling the earth? I'm going to ask you a question. You judge yourself. I'm not going to judge it. I want probably to. How many people have you won to Jesus in 2022? How many non-saved people have you shared the gospel with? You're not responsible to save them. But how many non-saved people have you willingly and boldly shared the covenant news of Jesus Christ with them? Not in a roundabout way, like I just wanted to help you tote your groceries and be nice. Anybody can be nice. Actually telling the covenant news of Jesus. And I would say, I'm, I'm just going out on a limb, 
But from what I read and research, most of God's people aren't even thinking about lost people. I got bills to pay. My marriage is a mess. My children, I'm just trying to survive. All of my prayers are survival prayers. It's a terrible time on earth. It's a recession in America. It's COVID. It's disease. And you think I have time to care whether or not my neighbor is going to die and go to hell? I don't. I'm going to lose my house. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that my belief is we've lost what God wanted us to do, and much of modern Christianity in America is building modern Tower of Babels we call church. Filling it up with like-minded people with the same language, but we're not owning our 50 feet and sharing the gospel, however that would work. So I'm going to teach you this. Genesis 11, 4. Come, let's build a city. This is a different, same scripture, different version. I like the way it read. Build a city in a tower at the top of heaven and in the yellow. Let us make a name for ourselves. So the question was, um, what hinders us from filling the earth? And the answer is, the hindrance to why believers in Jesus don't fill the earth is because making a name for self overrides any mandate God may have placed on them. I'm all for the self. I, I think we all have an id and an ego and a superego and all the psych that goes with it. But there is a weird gospel that thinks that the gospel is just for you and you alone to be blessed and have a good life on earth and survive until he comes and gets you. I'm not saying he won't do that for us, but we're not to live here just trying to be blessed and survive till the rapture comes. You are left here to infect people with the good news of Jesus Christ. The job you have was given to you because that's your mission field. I've said that before. I won't belabor that. I want to teach you what it means to make a name for yourself. Uh, the, the Hebrew word is asa. I think that's how you pronounce it. That, that's the phrase, let us make. And it means to produce, to prepare. So what's going to happen is these people have gathered together and they go, all right, let's produce something here. Let's do something that's going to be good. Let's, let's make something that'll just, man, it'll make our kids proud, our wives proud, and we can just grow up here and die here on this plane all together and happy. Well, it's not that deep of a word, but the next word is interesting. Let's make a name for ourselves. I love the way it translates out because it's not just a name, it's, it's a reputation. Many of the versions say, let's, let's get famous, let's make ourselves famous. The word I want to hold on to is monument. Because a monument speaks volumes, it, it, it gives you memories of good days gone by. It, uh, you, go to, you go to Alabama, you'll see a monument to Bear Bryant. You, you go to downtown Atlanta, you will see a monument to a Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, all over the last two years, you saw what happened. America started pulling down all the monuments. Oh, this is racist, this is racist. But those were monuments. They were, it didn't mean that they were right, but they were connected to memories and histories of experiences. And these people have gathered together on a plane and they built themselves. They say this, let us make a monument to ourselves. 
We won't go out there. We're going we're gonna to build a monument to ourselves. And then in studying this out, it becomes very clear to me that I think what happens is this. The hindrance of God's kingdom government filling the earth is that God's people worship the monument over the mandate. And we must be aware not to worship our monuments. I would almost guarantee that every church split is somebody got mad about their monument. They didn't do it my way. They didn't build my thing. They didn't do my agenda. And if you don't do my agenda my way, sing my songs, preach my way, act my way, call my way, do my way, then what happens is rather than realizing I exist for his pleasure, I begin to think that God exists for my pleasure. And my faith becomes pleasure-centered. I tell the pastor, you have to please me. I tell the worship leader, you have to please me. I tell the youth pastor, you have to please my children. And so suddenly I'm in the kingdom and I'm requiring that everybody please me. And if you don't, I'll leave you and go to them and make them please me. Now what happens in that is we become monument focused. Now we can call them denominations, we can call them whatever we want to call them. But I, I have seen people lose their minds over whether or not there should be a fern on the stage or not. Well, you should, you should not move the ferns off the stage. I'm like, so a fern is a monument. I love when we got here, my mom and dad, they called them the throne chairs. They had two big chairs there, like John Hagee. There's a big <laughs> chair there and a big chair there. I hated the throne chairs. I loathed the throne chairs. My dad loved the throne chairs. He just loved, and it wasn't because he was prideful. He even said, I like my chair because I love to sit on the stage and see who all is coming in the door. So as they come in, I can bless them. And I'm like, I loathe with a passion. He even said in the kindest way a father could tell, he said, I'm turning, this was January of 2013. He said, I'm turning the church to you and Robin. Just do whatever you feel God's called you to do. I said, oh, thank you, Dad. He said, however. <laughs> Anybody want to know what's coming? Don't touch my throne chairs. <laughs> Don't touch his throne chairs. Hey. And Robin would go home, tell your daddy those throne chairs need to come off. I'm not telling him that. I'm not about, I'm going to honor my daddy. Mark, those throne chairs are the ugliest thing on the world. I know, I've tried to tell him. He said, don't touch him. And I'm not touching him because I'm not going to disobey authority and be cursed. I'm just going to have to, so I just go to God. God, please tell dad to let those throne chairs go. And, and when I mean go, I mean go. I don't remember when it was, but. In the kindest of way, I don't know if mother said something or God gave him a dream, but he came to me and said, Mark, he said, I'll tell you what, he said, you want to move those strong chairs, you go right ahead. Now, you know what that tells me about the man? As special as the chairs were, they were not a monument. They were not more important than the will of God. They were not more important than where the church wanted to go. And that man, as much as he loved the throne chairs, uh, it touches me to this day because I know he loved them. 
But yet he was willing to say there's nothing I love that will ever be a monument to stop God from doing what God wants to do. Oh, my Lord, if we could get that, what would happen if, if that's all? And I even listen to that and go, oh, there's so much in me. My guitars can be a monument. Ooh. And then the Lord says, give it away. Okay, I'll do it. And I believe, this is me, I think much of what's wrong with church today is we worship monuments. And we think it's religious and spiritual and Holy Ghost, and it's not. It's stopping the kingdom from moving forward. Because the table, rather than being communion, becomes a monument. The TVs become a monument. The organ becomes a monument. The lights and smoke become a monument. Things become more important to me than the kingdom itself. So I wrote down a few. These are 33 years of it. What are some of the monuments that we've put up? Number one, we lose sight of why. Usually when there's a monument in your life, you forgot why you've been left here. And in the weirdest of ways, sometimes God sends us to places because he wants us to die from the power of our monuments and learn how to worship elsewhere in another way. And I tell you, you want to grow? Let God put you in a church where you're irritated. Because it'll he'll touch every monument in your life. Ugh, I don't want to be with these people. Well, I know you don't, but that's where I planted you. What? Why? Because right now, your worship is a tower of Babel to me, and I need to get that out of your life. I need you to care more about my kingdom than your preferences. But my preferences are Holy Ghost. Okay. But I still need you to care more about my kingdom than your preferences. Because I think all of us in the room could say our preferences are the Holy Ghost. Because we all love God. So sometimes Holy Ghost preferences against Holy Ghost preferences. Holy Ghost preferences become a monument. In the name of God, no, the Lord told me. Oh, no, the Lord told me. And I'm like, well, who did the Lord tell? Neither one of you, because neither one of you have remembered what this is about. And anytime you're biting and devouring each other, it's never God. All right, so here's a scripture, because here's what I did. I took that thought to scatter, that thought of a monument. I ran it into Jesus Christ and thought, I wonder if he, he was trying to get something. So I went to the Sermon on the Mount. I could have taught on this for months. I won't belabor doing it, but don't have the time or the topic. This is Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't misunderstand why I have come. Holy smokes. I read that and I thought, that's, that's the problem with a lot of Christians. We forgot why we're here. We literally lost sight of why we're on planet Earth. We're not here just to vote. We're not here just to work. We're not here just to retire. We're, we're here to govern and rule in Jesus' name. But even Jesus said, if you're not careful, you can misunderstand why I have come. And I think a lot of Christians misunderstand why we're here. The next one is we lose sight of the what. We lose sight of the what. And I put out there the least because I'm going to give you this scripture. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And what I found is that sometimes we get focused on, 
on the least little things and forget the commandments. I'm mad. Why? Preacher didn't call me. Well, did you call him? Nope. He should pick up in the spirit. I needed to be called. Well, he's probably a little carnal and wasn't thinking about you today. Well, the very fact that he's not thinking about me is probably a sign he's not a good shepherd. Right? Because what I try to tell people is I'm not sitting in my office every day just, tell me who to call, Lord, tell me who to call, Lord. I mean, I do that on the way in, and I usually will get a name, and I'll shoot you a text, go, hey, thinking about you today, love you. Like, I do that. But if you're in a crisis, and you're sitting at home going, oh, no, why he won't call, call me. I may not be that spiritual right now. I'm, I, I may be in the middle of a dog that's losing his mind at my house. And I'm not even thinking about pastoring people. And you're over there falling apart. Guess what? Call me. Well, I don't have your number. Ask me tonight before you leave. Well, you didn't answer back. Sorry, call me again. Like, if we're not careful, we will get stuck on the most petty things as Christians. And I put the least because we get stuck on the most petty thing and forget the most simplistic scripture. Love each other. But my petty things irritate me. I want to kill them. So one of the reasons we're building monuments over doing the gospel is I forget why I'm here. And then I just get irritated with the least petty things. I'll tell you a story. I was on staff at a church, and as a gifted person can be, I complain because I have the gift of that. When somebody's not doing what I think they should do in my educated mind, I think if they do this, it'd be a lot better. So I was whining that we were a spirit-filled church, and nobody ever operated in the gifts of the spirit. So I'm home telling Robert, they say they're spirit-filled, but you don't ever even hear it. Nobody even talks about spirit-filled. I mean, they say they're spirit-filled. Nobody even spirit-filled. I never even hear anybody talking. Spirit-filled. I don't even think they're spirit-filled. I mean, they may be spirit-filled. But you would think a spirit-filled church, Robin, there would be a gift. There would be a, hey, pray for each other. There would be a, hey, lay hands on each other. Nothing. Now, that was me trying to complain my way into my church being better. I'm on staff at that church, by the way. So I'm complaining about the church that pays me. How, how wonderful of a human I am. So I'm in the shower getting ready. I'm like, God, I just know why you sent me to this church. They, they, you know, they don't even they say they're spirit-filled. They don't even. And listen, I don't know if God showers. <laughs> I don't know if a spirit could shower, right? I don't know. But he came in that shower. I don't know if he got wet or not. But I'm just sitting here like they just don't even flow in the spirit. And I heard a voice say, well... Why are you so upset at them? You never go to church and ask me to use you. And I was like, oh. And then I realized I was complaining about something I wanted to see happen, and I was not even willing to say, well, you can use me. So I went to church that day. I was mad at myself. All right, God, well, if you want to do spirit-filled things, then use me. And nothing happened. But you know what I started doing? And I do it every day to this day. If I show up on this property, I show up. God, you want to use me, use me. 
And one Sunday morning, I walked into that church. Lord, you want your gifts today? You, you tell me. And all of a sudden, and God had an interpretation over here, and the presence of the Lord came in the room. Because, see, I could complain all day long, but I have to ask myself, it's easier to focus on what I'm irritated than deal with what the least is. It's me. I need to get over it. And I tried my best to do so. But there's a lot of Christians today that are still stuck there. And then we lose sight of the way. We lose sight of the way. I'm going to teach this in depth next week, so I'm about to end here. On this phrase called the differences. Marty Martin and I had a great conversation yesterday. And there's something beautiful about people being different. It's healthy. We're not all supposed to be the same. If my dad stands up and preaches, he's not supposed to be me. Now, I'm telling you from experience, I tried to be my mother and was miserable. I can do, dad's an encourager. If my dad preaches, you will walk out of the door and think, I can take the world over. I can literally take the world over. When I preach, most people walk out the door and go, I had no clue what he said, but he landed that plane and it was good. I mean, the whole time he's preaching, I'm like, where's he going? And then at the very end, oh. So I'm, there's always that weird moment where you're like, I don't even know what that boy is saying. But my mother, oh, oh. teacher, Roman numeral one, A, B, matching one, two. Roman numeral two, A, B, matching A, B. Roman numeral three. And I, I looked at her notes, and I'm like, all right, I can do this. Roman numeral one. Okay, yeah, Roman numeral one. Okay, the way. Okay, I got my one. Okay, now I need an A. An A. Yeah, Roman numeral one, an A. What would my A be? Oh, an A. That's, that's a good thought. That's a, oh, I have to have a B if I have an A. Because that's what mom said. Every A has to have a B. I need a B. You see how frustrated I was? I don't know what I sounded like that year. It was probably like, open your Bibles. Roman numeral one. I don't know how it came out. Thank God they didn't record back then, right? And if they did, it was on cassette tape. We burned them all. <laughs> I was the most frustrated human being. I was trying, and then I started watching TV. Jimmy Swaggart came on. Anybody remember him? And I thought, I could do that. Suit and tie, sweat and spit, and tell everybody they're going to hell. Stop looking at porn. Repent of your sins. And I did that for about a year. God. And just dripping in sweat. By the time I was done, I would be like. I idolized Jimmy. I wanted to be like Jimmy. And even people to make me feel good. They go, you sound just like Jimmy Swagger. I'd be like, thank you. Thank you so much. Finally, I'm just like Jimmy. <laughs> well, that, that frustrated me. A, I hate a suit and tie. B, who wants to sweat? Oh. So, 30 years ago, I went to God. And I was frustrated. I was a new preacher. And I said, God, please help me. This is exactly what I heard. I heard God tell me, Mark, I created you. I need you to be you. I, this is exactly what I heard. I need you to stand in a pulpit. 
I need you to tell stories. I need you to use your humor. And I need you to connect people to me. That next sermon felt like I had been born again. Because I had no A, B, C, D. I didn't even have a thought. I just stood up and started being funny. And people were like, what's he doing? I don't know. I just was told to be funny and tell stories. My dog died last week. And at the very end of the story, hey, I just want y'all to know God loves you. <laughs> God loves us and his dog died. I'm like, wow, it works. <laughs> well, one of the reasons that so many people don't do well serving God is we lose sight of the way. And here's the scripture. When you're on the way to go to court with your adversary and then in the green, learn to settle your differences. The beautiful thing of the kingdom is when we can learn to be different and comfortable with being different. Huh? Oh, I'm sorry. I told you Genesis. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's Matthew. Sorry. Yeah. I was just thinking about being Jimmy when I wrote that. Uh, sorry. It's a new Bible. It's, that's... <laughs> That's Matthew 5.25, not Genesis 5.25. But when you're, when, yeah, when you're on your way, settle your differences. And you know one thing I've learned that irritates a lot of people is we want everybody to think like us, pray like us. It used to drive me crazy. People go, well, I just think you ought to do prayer more. And I'm like, man, I hate it. I mean, I love prayer. I don't like praying with groups of people. I get distracted. I start listening to them pray and go, I wish I could pray like that. And then I listen to them pray and I go, whoa, that, that prayed good too. And, I, and the whole hour's gone by and I hadn't even prayed because I'm listening to everybody else pray. And then I'm not, I'm not a quiet prayer. Like if I'm in a group, I don't do the. Like, I pray like this. God, I thank you that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I thank you that no weapon formed against me will prosper. I have all of my needs met. And everything that I desire to do, I thank you that you've done it for me, God. Father God, that's how I pray. Well, nobody wants to be in the room with that. It's like, my Lord, I can't even concentrate. He's so loud. All I hear is him over there going, Kadalalalamanama. I can't even, he ought to interpret that. I don't, I mean, that's just me. Like, I, I don't know, but that's what I'm saying. If, if we don't learn how to let everybody be different, this summer we turned it loose to five, six different people, and we said, Marty teach, Garth teach, Gene teach, June. Do you know what the beautiful thing of that was? Everybody taught the Holy Spirit, but from their different perspective. And oh, it was so good. It was like, man, I never thought of that. That was so good. Marty, that was great. Garth, that was wonderful. Dad, that was our differences. But do you want to know what? We make our differences our monument. I want everybody to pray like me, sing like me, worship. I've even heard people say, go to that church, say, spirit filled word. Nobody there raises their hands. Look at them. Three of us clapping. Well, what if nobody hears a clapper? Right, literally, what if. I always pick on dad at times. Here, here's dad's highest praise. Give God your highest praise. That's his highest praise. That's my highest praise is, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. 
And dad's over there. But if I'm not careful, here's, here's the deal. If I'm not careful, I'll judge you. And when you don't meet my different standard, I judge you for not rising up to be who I think you should be. And I leave church. I split church. I, because our differences become our monument. How does God, here's the thought for next week. How does God move his people who are focused on monuments to disperse and fill the earth? We're going to talk about what God's doing with Abraham next week in his government. But here's a thought for you. It's not a fun thought. It's not a godly thought. It's definitely not word of faith. But it's a scripture. Saul was one of the ones that agreed to completely with Stephen at the killing of Stephen. And a great wave of persecution swept over the church. And all the believers except the apostles were what? Scattered. In the, in the book of Acts, chapter 8, God's so serious about what he told Adam what he told Noah, what he told Tower of Babel, what he will tell Abraham, what Jesus told his disciples, you will go into all the world and preach the gospel. And they said, no, we won't. We're going to stay in Jerusalem and we're going to live right here in our little upper room where we had an experience of the Holy Spirit and we're not going to go into Judea and Samaria and the other most parts of the earth. And God's like, look, appreciate you guys speaking in tongues. Glad you had an experience in that upper room where fire hit you, but I didn't give you an experience to go back to that upper room and create an upper room of experience. I gave you the upper room experience to go into the streets. You want to come back to Jerusalem? Great. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to have people come in and beat you and whip you. It's weird. Like God's just talking to disobedient kids. So you don't want to go? Okay, here's what I'll do. I'm just going to have people come in with whips, the Romans, the Jews, and they're just going to beat the living tar out of you because you guys are going to go to the next city and you're going to do what I've called you to do. Here's the next verse. It's even worse. But the believers were scattered. It was persecution that scattered them. They were spirit-filled, brand-new Christians, the birth of the church, and they wanted to do what all humans want to do, gather together, make a name for ourselves, grow a big church in Jerusalem, and be the mothership of all churches. And God's like, yo, no, mm -mm. you're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, do you or don't you want to leave Jerusalem? I don't want to leave Jerusalem. We're going to build a great church here. We just, God, we just added 3,000 people. That is impressive. That is a big business here. We went from 120 to 3,000. Do you know how successful we are? A month later, we are up to 8,000 people. What would you do if in a month Believers was running 8,000 people? Most of us would leave. It's just too big. It's too many differences. I can't. I liked it when it was small and we all had Mark's number. Do you know now with 8,000 people, if he texted us all, it would take him seven years to text us. I'm leaving. So here's what God said. Okay, great. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to let a great wave of persecution come in because I, watch what he says in the blue. They were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. In other words, God was serious. I told you, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. I'm serious about it. Do not go back in that upper room and try to build you a monument. You will go to Judea and, and Samaria. Do you understand? No, we're not. Okay, wave of persecution. <laughs> Killing people, stoning people. And they're like, oh, we better go. 
But the believers who were scattered preached the good news. Philip has a revival. A devil guy begins to get free. And here's what's strange. We'll deal with it later. An old boy named Saul was in the streets. And God captured him. And it's the weirdest thing because this is how God starts his ministry. Go tell that boy he's going to suffer a lot for me because I got a job to get him to those people over there. And Paul did it. He ran his race. He finished his course. And everyone in here that's not a Jew is here because that boy did it. He went to the world and preached the gospel. And he died to himself. He died to what he wanted. He wrote most of the New Testament from prison. He's the one that wrote, die to yourself, crucify yourself. I'm thinking he's probably thinking all of that. I just wish I was home. I wish I was in a comfortable bed, but I'm in a prison. But that's okay because I know whom I believe. And I'm persuaded that he is able. And I will tell you this. I tell you this. I count everything I have as but dung that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And by least of one, save one person, it's worth it. I don't care if they whip me or beat me. Nothing. That's weird. But he got it. And I think there's something in the American church that needs to come to the conclusion that somewhere we've gotten more monument focused rather than message focused. And we love the building. We love our unity. We love our success. We love our groups. And at the end of the day, what we need to ask is, but are we taking the message to our 50 feet? And if we're not, then no matter what we think, we're not successful. I'm not asking you to win the lost. I'm asking you to just take the message. The, the, the winning and saving is up to the Spirit. But I have to plant the seeds. So God, here's, the, here's what we come up with for God's kingdom government. God fills the earth with his, with his government message, and his government message is about Jesus. That's what it's going to be about by the time we get to the church. We will find out that all along God had a message. Adam and Eve were to spread it, Noah was to spread it, Babel was to spread it, Abraham was to spread it, Jesus told his apostles to spread it, and the church was supposed to spread it. And if we're not careful, we'll be in 2022 going to churches because we can't handle differences and we're building monuments and we're not really doing what the kingdom wanted it. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for tonight. I ask that it will sink deep into our soul. I ask that we will grow from it. I ask that we will learn from it. And what applies to us, I pray that you use us. And Father, here's my prayer for all of us. And I'm praying for myself too. I think, matter of fact, let me not pray. I'll just end the, amen. Look at me a minute. Let me just encourage you and I'll let you go. There's been a, an issue that's happened in the local church over the last 30, 40 years. And it's that we pushed evangelism to a title. The evangelist. Many denominational churches will even have uh, like an evangelist week, revival week, bring a friend. And we do it and we hope the evangelist preaches something. And that's great. I love it. It's a great thing to do. But what it's done is it's taken the pressure off of every individual every day 24-7 to just be willing. Just be willing. 
you don't have to know the Roman road. You don't have to know every jot and tittle of what happened to the dinosaurs. Why did Job suffer? I don't know, but I know Jesus loves you. Do you believe in dinosaurs? Never saw one, but I know Jesus loves you. If we could just get to that little simplistic thing, I believe we've, here's my thinking, I think we've complicated it because the enemy has complicated evangelism so much we're scared to even open our mouth and just let people know they're loved by Jesus. Because it's somebody else's job and I feel so inadequate. And if you feel inadequate right now, it's a lie of the devil because you're not. If you're breathing, you're qualified. <laughs> Open your mouth and just say, can I, can I pray for you, the love of Jesus? They may rebuke you. They may say yes. It's not your care. Your care is to take the message to fill the earth. Amen? God bless you. Come on.